the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Who God loves, who God hates, his elect children, and his promises. That is on tap for us today as we continue our journey through Romans, chapter 9. That's next, here on Abounding Grace. Here in chapter 9 of Romans, the Apostle Paul deals with some rather difficult subject matter. The elect children of the promise. Just what is in store for the nation of Israel? And what should our hearts be for that nation? These are questions we're looking at today as the Apostle Paul addresses them here in Romans chapter 9. We'll turn our attention to verses 6 through 13 today. That's where we catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner on today's edition of Abounding Grace. I'm sure you do not need me to tell you that this is probably one of the most disputed grounds in all of Scripture. And it can make for very limber gymnasts of preachers trying to get around what appears to be the prophet's plain meaning here. But before we go there and are humbled... Let's remember Paul's purpose for ascending these very dizzying heights of God's sovereignty in election and salvation. Paul was a Jew. He confessed in verses 1 through 5 that even though his own people hated him and persecuted him, he loved them. And if it were possible, which in all honesty he knew that it wasn't, But if it were, he would be willing to be cursed by Christ forever to see his countrymen saved. So that is one issue for going here. Paul, how do you still feel about your countrymen? Are you peeved? Are you vengeful? And Paul says, no, I still love my countrymen. I still desire for them to be saved. I'm still laboring for their salvation. The second issue is much broader and bigger, and that is, why have the Jews, and he calls them Israelites in verse 4, why have the Israelites, an Old Testament word, rejected the Messiah? Can, after all, something really separate us from the love of Christ? We see that in chapter 8, verses 34, 35, and 39. Why did the Jews fall away? Paul, in the verses we'll look at today, it says this, and that there is a distinctive between Israel considered collectively as a group of people and God's true seed within that body. There is a distinction between those two. The Lord always differentiated within Israel between those whom he had rejected, 
who were hardened in their unbelief, and those to whom he gave his word and sealed his covenant. The Holy Spirit calls this principle of differentiation election, and it is not based upon bloodline, personal worth, or good works. It is based solely upon God's grace to undeserving sinners. The implication that Paul will draw is sola gratia. Salvation is by grace alone. It was never extended or given to the Jews based on their blood, based on their outward connections to the broader people of God. So throughout Israel's history, God was always working out his purposes in the remnant. He was always giving his word, preparing the world for the Messiah through that remnant, judging the majority of them for their unbelief and their ingratitude. Verse 6 makes a very important point, which is really quite simple. God's word never fails. The actual word here is, Greek word here is ex pipto, which means to fall out. God's word can never fall out. It always, always accomplishes its purposes for which it is sent out. So when they saw the majority of the Israelites rejecting Christ, what were they to conclude? God's word had failed, right? No, God's word can never fail. So there has to be a different explanation. And there is. Notice the second half of verse 6. And this is profound. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Let me read that again. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And we could spend... 20 minutes probably today in the Old Testament looking at references to this. Deuteronomy is filled with them. Isaiah is filled with them. That Israel is oftentimes collectively spoken of as God's people, right? God's holy nation. God's chosen nation. God's elect nation. Out of all the nations in the earth, God chose them to be his peculiar possession. Verse 4 even of our present passage. They were Israelites to whom God revealed his mercy and the incredible benefits of his covenant. But, but, at the same time, not everyone in that mass of people could claim to be the seed of promise or the true Israel. God had chosen out of the mass those who would be his forever to whom he would give eternal life and who believed his promises. Now listen, because this is a critical distinction within Israel itself, and Paul had already made this point earlier in the letter. Look at chapter 2, verse 28. And he made it repeatedly also to the Galatians. But notice he already made this in 2.28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. In other words... If all you have is the outward connection to Abraham, the bloodline, the trappings of that, you're not a Jew. 
Neither is that circumcision which is outwardly in the flesh, but he is not a Jew. And Paul here is speaking as a Jew. Maybe you could even say a Christian Jew. And he says, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. He probably makes the clearest statement in chapter 11 of Romans, verse 5. He says, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, I want to tell you at the outset today that there will be a lot of theology that we're going to wade through. Because remember, we worship God by making sure we study God. That's what theology is, right? We don't worship God by studying our feelings about him. So you're going to have to listen carefully. And then at the very end, I'll apply all of this. There are four very, very profound implications of the distinction in verse 6, that they are not all Israel that are of Israel. First, the obvious one, directly in the context, is that God's word has not fallen or failed even though the majority of the Jews rejected the Messiah. Those whom God intended to save were saved. Those whom God has yet reserved for himself in the days of the apostles and in our day, they will be saved. So far from failing in its purpose, God's word has had tremendous effect in the seed of promise, the children of promise within Israel. A believing remnant has been preserved. And from that remnant, the Messiah came, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Second, we must not think that Israel is an undifferentiated mass of people. This is the way the people, way people talk when they talk about the Jews today. It was even the way the Jews thought about themselves. Bloodline is enough. Whatever other differences there may be are irrelevant. We are blood-connected. We must not think of Israel as an undifferentiated mass that still occupies God's main purpose in history, beloved. No, the bulk of them were slain by God's word. God's word had its effect. It killed them. Why? Because they rejected his promises. They rejected his covenant and they fell under its curses, which is exactly what Jesus said in the parable of the steward who builds the wine tower. At the end, he says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit thereof. Matthew 21. Dispensationalism. Jewish exceptionalism, Zionism, American foreign policy to the degree it is based on Zionism utterly collapses under this one idea. Listen, the only members of the Jewish nation to the degree that there is even such a thing that may lay any legitimate claim to God's promises as those who embrace the Messiah 
Everyone else is cut off. If you could claim your direct bloodline all the way to Abraham and had the DNA to prove it and rejected the Messiah, you are not a Jew. Because they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Third, the sole ground for this distinction, verse 6, they are not Israel who are of Israel, is God's sovereign grace. That means that phrase is very important. And everyone in here needs to understand what sovereign grace is. That means God shows kindness according to his own purposes and will. We cannot bind him. We cannot control him. He doesn't owe us anything. His grace, his, his kindness, which is undeserved, is sovereignly bestowed unworthily for his own purpose to those whom he chooses. Blood ties to Abraham to the degree that they can even exist now with all the intermingling that has taken place among that people, never, never, never made one a true son of the kingdom. It was faith in God's word that made one a true son of the kingdom. It was faith in God's word that made one a true child of Abraham and thus a true Jew. And fourth, and fourth, this has to, be, has to do with the very nature of the covenant. Please listen closely to this. Because we waste a lot of lives. We spend billions upon billions upon billions of dollars every year because there are Christians in the evangelical church, many of them behind the scenes, involved in politics, who are agitating for this stupidity. And that is, the heart of God's covenant with Israel was never an earthly blessing at all. There has always been those, like Servetus, he was one of them, and dispensationalists have a lot in common with Servetus, believe it or not, but all that God really promised his people was fat bellies and a strip of land. And they get that no matter what. But we learn here that the heart of God's covenant with his people was never geography. It was never cattle or coffers of gold. It was faith and life and salvation through the Messiah. So when the majority of Israel, when he came unto his own and his own received him not, they rejected him and they also forfeited the external blessings of that covenant. And these two are bound together. The external blessings are bound to the inner reality of the covenant, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And any reading of the prophets will tell you this. Why did Israel lose the land? They did not believe God's promises. The enjoyment of the land and the keeping of the covenant go hand in hand. And when they rejected Jesus Christ, there was no keeping of the covenant. And therefore, there was no land, no temple, nothing for any unbelieving Jew. Just like there is nothing for any unbelieving Gentile, nothing. Many people insult God's covenant of grace, even within the church, by saying, no, God is still bound that the Jews still have some earthly patrimony, some earthly inheritance that they are 
owed. Beloved, God owes them nothing. The condition of keeping the land was keeping the covenant. They broke the covenant. They rejected the Messiah. They crucified him and they lost everything. And the only way anything can be recovered for them or for anyone else is through trusting Jesus Christ and bowing before him as their savior and lawful king and interesting enough, that was Peter's message at Pentecost. You remember? You remember what he preached? He said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, bringing the death sentence on your head, and has made him Lord and Christ, and you are doomed. But there were those whom God's hand touched that day. So they asked, what are we going to do? And Peter said, you better repent and you better believe in Christ because he is your lawful king. And this remains, even today, the Jews' only hope. Now, the argument intensifies in verses 7 and 8, and he makes the comment very clear. An emphasis on God's sovereign dealings with his people is going to strike at the root of Jewish pride. They boasted of being descendants of Abraham. They said to Jesus, we have Abraham as our father. We are not children of fornication. We have Abraham. To refute this, Paul goes back now to the word of God that defined Israel's history from its very beginning. First notice, he cuts off all their pride by making the astounding claim in verse 7 that just because someone is the seed of Abraham, a physical descendant of Abraham does not mean they are children of the promise. And he says, in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now, please understand, the Jews said, Abraham is our father. We'll turn to Galatians 3. Paul talks about this in an extended way there. We'll just take, take a look at a, at a couple of verses. He says, who is the seed of Abraham? Is it those who just come from Abraham's loins, the physical children that he begets? Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to the seeds as of many, but as of one, and thy seed which is Christ. In other words, Abraham's seed is not the Jews. Abraham's seed is Christ, and therefore, the only way for a Jew, or a Gentile for that matter, but we're talking, of course, today about the Jews, and the only way for a Jew to enjoy the blessings of the covenant is to be in that seed, which is Christ. And the only way to be in that seed is to believe in the gospel. Which is why he says there, at the end of Galatians 3, verse 29, And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, merely a physical connection to Abraham will prevail you nothing. There must be faith in God's promise, or else the claim to have Abraham for your father 
It's just false. Turn to John chapter 8 and see that our Lord Jesus references the same line of argumentation. And this, of course, is one of the reasons the Jews crucified him. He stares there in verse 44, this very unflattering description. You are of your father, the devil. They have been naming and claiming the whole time that Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, no, Abraham is not your father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Of course, meaning Satan. And they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if you were, if you were your, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father, the devil. What did they miss? I mean, they had the covenants. They had the promise. They had the temple, the priesthood, the blessings the glory, everything Paul has already said in chapter 9 of Romans. What did they miss? Look again at chapter 8 of John, verse 56. Here, Father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. They missed the whole heart of the covenant with Abraham. And it was not land and cattle and progeny and world dominion. It was Christ. Abraham recognized that. And Jesus said, he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it ahead by faith and he was glad. So Jesus said to the Jews, by rejecting me, you showed that your true father is the devil. Now from our Lord's words, we must forever reject any idea. Listen carefully. We must reject any idea that Palestine somehow still belongs to the Jews. That it is theirs by promise. Oh, no, it is not. Because the devil's children don't get any land. Now, we would be the devil's children, too. And are actually as Gentiles if we don't believe Scripture and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus' point is much more pointed. You Jews, physical descendants from Abraham, you are of your father, the devil, because if you don't embrace me, you don't have the covenant. And you do not have the covenant. So there is no such thing as a covenant as if the Jews get the land no matter what. No, they don't. Abraham is the father only of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Romans 9 verse 9, Paul gives one proof of this, and that is the specific case of Isaac. If all that counts is bloodline, and who... Who was Isaac's half-brother? 
It was Ishmael. So Ishmael should have just had as much right to the covenant of grace as Isaac, right? He, he, he doesn't mention Ishmael, Ishmael directly, but that is what he is referring to here. But yet notice, only Isaac was born according to the promise. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.